Today on Empowering Workplaces, we are talking about the art and science of people analytics with Richard Rose now, VP of People Analytics Strategy at One Model, a leader in the people analytics space. He's been a longtime practitioner and member of the people analytics community. Excited for this conversation. Welcome to Empowering Workplaces, a show for everyone who wants to make work better and more fulfilling. We are your hosts, culture designer Maddie Grant and organizational psychologist Sonia Lucina. Join us in today's awesome conversation. Welcome, Richard. It's so lovely to have you with us. I've been chatting with you and thinking about this episode and all the amazing things we can talk about. And I've just... I've been such a big fan of yours for a really long time before even getting to know you, just following your work in the people analytics community. And you're just such a good human being, <laughs> like on top oh of <laughs> just being this, you know, brilliant contrib contributor to the world of people analytics, like everything that I see you do to help elevate others, to bring opportunities to others. It's just, it warms my heart to see everything that you do. And I'm so internally grateful for you taking the time to join us here today, because I'm hopeful that I don't know if I know anyone who doesn't know you yet, maybe. <laughs> so either for, for those friends that we have in, in common, they already follow your work and learn a little bit more about some of your most recent projects. And maybe if there's some individuals who don't know you, it would just be such a pleasure to for us to get you on their radar. And so welcome, a very, very warm welcome to you. And before we jump into the questions that we prepared for our conversation today, I just love for you to tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and anything you want, anything professional, personal, anything that you'd like to share as, as you know, we prepare to jump deeper into the world of people analytics. Well, thank you so much. I mean, with that intro, I'll, I'll come back anytime. You name the day, I'll be here. Uh, just thank you. I, I really appreciate that. So um, for those I haven't met yet, my name is Richard. Uh, I live in Pittsburgh with my wife and my two lovely kids. And I am absolutely fascinated uh, by the field of work in the community around people analytics. It's been a, it's been a lifelong kind of career long mission here around this space. And um, I, I truly can't get enough of it. Uh, if you're new to the space, please reach out, follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, I share all kinds of things. I mean, I, I like all kinds of things on there too. I've had some people tell me they just track my likes, which is a little weird maybe, uh, but uh, I, I think I blow them up a little bit with all the different people analytics stuff out there. And um, there is so much good, rich content right now about the space. So it's a, it's a good time to be there. Oh, I love it. And yeah, you're definitely, like I was mentioning, somebody I, whose work I followed for a while before we got to know each other. And I love the blend, even how you introduce yourself, that you're, you're somebody that's very open and people feel like they know you. And then when you share information, it's always very thoughtful. And I always feel like there are a lot of people sharing information out there, but with you, you can tell that it's this very intentional, you know, how do I give back to the community? Um, how do I help others get interested in this area? And so um, what actually got you interested in people analytics to begin with? How did you get in this space? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And it's, um, it, it's, I really appreciate you saying that too. Uh, so one of the things that got me into actually kind of writing and thinking about the space was actually because I was consuming so much content. Uh, I, I learned from all the people that came before me in this space that there's just a tremendous leadership within the people analytics community. And the, the field, although it feels like it's been around for a short time, has really long depth of history. And so people have been trying and pushing and, and building this space for a long time. So I, I felt like I was really taking out a lot of library books and I wasn't putting much back. 
And so my, my first articles were around that space. I want to say, hey, what can I contribute if I'm going to get so much out of this community? How can I contribute something back? But um, how did I find people analytics? I uh, actually got started way back when in sociology. Uh, so I thought that's where I was going. I was mm -hmm. going to be a sociologist. I was going to go for a PhD. Uh, what really fascinated me there was how communities come together, but understanding that from a data perspective. And so you can start to see some ties already from that. But um, I actually fell into a role with a nonprofit where I got to put, see some of that stuff get put into action. Uh, so the very start of my career was in the nonprofit space, kind of building communities, working with education groups and seeing like, how can we help shape and how can we help uh, people kind of come together and form these, these bonds? So really loved that work, but I kept finding myself getting towards these projects that were like uh, some sales predictions, some attrition predictions, some people related stuff. And I, and I started building all these crazy things in Excel. And um, I remember the first day someone taught me a pivot table. I was just like, my mind exploded. Like, we don't do many pivot tables in sociology programs. Uh, but truly found a, a passion for it there. Uh, transitioned into the space about 10 years ago. And it's just been a, a, a love affair ever since with people analytics. Uh, got to see some phenomenal teams. Again, like uh, speaking about being like blessed by mentors in the space. Uh, Facebook with Alexis Fink. I was at Uber with RJ Milner. Uh, went to Nike with Tony Trong. I mean, these truly like phenomenal leaders that I got to soak up, absorb, learn from, and then got to run my own people analytics shop for at least a short while with Argo AI uh, before finding my way over here to one model. So um, yeah, I, I can keep going and keep, keep kind of ranting, through, but uh, <laughs> truly a passion oh. for the people analytics space and excited to have found it. Richard, oh, I no, have to jump in and say that um, my background is actually quite similar starting in the nonprofit space and building okay. communities, except that I went down the culture change, culture mm. path afterwards. <laughs> so maybe one day over drinks, we can talk more about that. <laughs> oh, I'd love that. And it's it's something for, for people that are early in the career, maybe people are listening. It's a space that doesn't get enough talent that gets really, really fired up. Or maybe, maybe they do, they, they get fired up. That's, that's probably not fair to say, but I just, I felt so grateful getting my start there because I could raise my hand and pretty much do anything within that nonprofit because I was excited, fired up, wanted to do it, wanted to bring this kind of data along. Uh, so yeah, a lot, lot of, a uh, lot of love for my people that are in nonprofits still. Awesome, love, love it. it. Um, <laughs> so when you think about you know people analytics, workforce information, it's interesting because I think both for experts and those that are you know just getting into the field, there's a lot of different information out there. But you've really thought about and talked about categorizing it in three different areas. Do you mind telling us a little bit more around like how you think about workforce that information and data and how you've structured it to really most make most sense for you? Yeah. And it's something that I think it's from like careful study over a lot of years, just really soaking as much as I could about the field, because there's, there's a lot of information out there. And there's a lot of people that say they know what they're talking about. There's a lot of people that do know what they're talking about. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. Uh, so I think for people that are new to the space, it can be a little overwhelming. So whenever I try to get into the space and I, I've been in it long enough, that I'm trying to say, okay, how do we how do we kind of clear the air and get back to some of the fundamentals? And there's a, there's a quote by Margaret Mead that will stick with me my entire life. And the quote is, uh, what people say, what people do, and what people say they do are entirely different things. I just can't get enough of that quote, both because it's like a, it's a pithy, lovely thing to say, uh, but also it's a, it's a real recognition of how hard this space is. Like social sciences are not soft sciences. They are incredibly difficult. And this quote, I think, really encapsulates that, that says, hey, to understand a human, you have to triangulate. You don't have thermometers that can measure happiness. You don't have microscopes that can see how, if someone's gonna quit. Like you actually have to triangulate and try to understand people through the outside world. 
And so the, the more I thought about this quote, this what people say, what people do, and what people say they do, I started to pull out, I think, hey, there might be a framework hiding in here. And so I, I think what this is, is we can see people through what they say. Let's, let's bring it back to the workplace. Uh, what they say in the workplace. That's a lot of like your HRBPs are talking to employees and managers are talking to employees. That's good information about what employees and what the workforce is up to. I think what people say they do, a lot of that is in this kind of survey work stream. Because when we send someone a survey, they tell us what they say they do. They, they write down, they respond in a certain way, but that's not exactly the same thing as like a truth. Uh, and it, it can be complicated both from politics and even just knowing yourself in that space. But that is another kind of space where we pull information. And then that last one, the one we've really seen emerge over the past 10, 20 years has been this, what people actually do, which we can start to pick up through a lot of this like systems exhaust. So all these different technologies that have come about, these really phenomenal tools that help us with our day-to-day -day work, that help us understand work. As we engage with those, they pick up data and those little bits of data over time, you can start to tell stories from that. And so as we look at these different pathways, I think we've traditionally seen those as like very distinct. It's like there's the managers on the HRBPs, they're talking to people. We've got our talent team, they're doing the surveys, they're managing our kind of like listening program. And now we have these people analytics teams that work with the data. And the more we look at those, we say, hey, the, the name of the game is really workforce information. And how do we pull that back to make sense of the world? And coming back to Margaret's quote, uh, what people say, what people do, and what people say they do, you need all three. And so that, that's been a real driving force for me lately as we're talking about this space of people mm -hmm. analytics that it's not really just a data game, it's an information game. We've got to play across all these different channels. Yeah, you know, it's funny because you, as you say that too, I'm trying to think, I'm like, I even need help understanding myself, like what I think, what I think <laughs> I'm going to do, what am I actually going to do? <laughs> like, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's a personal a journey too. Being. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you see some as some trade-offs, as some trade-offs in efficiency, some trade-offs in trust? Like there's all these data inputs when somebody is thinking about how do I manage all of those? Like what are, I guess, some, some yeah, trade-offs and pros and cons? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I think as we look at this framework too, it helps explain some of the tensions we might've felt in HR over the past couple of years. Because really that, that first channel, that information channel of what people say, that's incredibly rich. And it's a very dense information channel. And I mean dense in the sense that like, as we speak to each other, I can communicate not just my words, but we can see each other here. I know the podcast listeners won't be able to, but I am waving my hands wildly as we're talking. <laughs> I'm communicating through that too. And it's, it's a very dense information channel that gets passed that has my tone and the articulations and the, the nuances of it. And so by having that channel for a long time, HR picked up a lot of information. The trouble with that channel though, is it just doesn't scale. Uh, so when I was an HRBP at, a, at one of the large banks, I had a population of 400. If I tried to talk to one person a day, I'd be a year and a bit. And that'd mm -hmm. be it, it, that'd be most of my job. And I've seen HRBPs that try to do that. They're like, I wanna talk to everyone in my population. It's, it's just a, a very intense way to pull information back. And by the time you get the information, maybe it's too late to actually make change. Mm -hmm. And so what we started to see is, I, I think the natural one that came next was this space of this survey. And so the idea of the survey is how, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking to the, the experts here, so I, I don't mean to uh, mm -hmm. uh, kind of over overemphasize it, but when, when I think about surveys, I think about how do we get information back at scale? And how do we get novel information back? Information we don't have today, we don't have in one of our systems, but a place that we can kind of scale, pull it back and make sense of it. And so the survey allowed the HR team to really uh, reach a much larger audience quickly and pull that information back to central. I think the emergence of systems and 
what's happened there is we started collect all this data. We were sitting on a mountain of data. And then we finally had some data resources go after it. These data systems are instantaneous. So we can very quickly understand and pull that data, that story from the data. But the trouble with the data channel is it's not a very dense channel. So kind of the mm -hmm. exact opposite of that conversation channel, but survey somewhere in the middle in terms of the information density you get. And so you can get who quit the company. But if you really want to know why, mm -hmm. you've got to tap into some of these other ones too. And so as we look across these three, the, the, the trade-offs here, it's, it's important to keep that in mind because I, I think we had a world where we were very HR and we're people people. And we did that for a very long time. We wanted to just be people people. And suddenly this data world popped up and we've rushed towards it a little bit within this people mm -hmm. analytics space, at least. We said, hey, we need to be data driven now. We need to be data informed. And that's accurate, but we can't lose track of where we came from. And we can't lose track of this, this rich cultural heritage we have as an HR function of understanding through conversation and understanding through survey as we move into the systems world. And so the reality is it's, it's gotta be all three. Yeah. You know, I, one thing that jumps to mind as you're, as you're talking the I often hear from our clients. So you have all of this different information and how do you interpret it and what do you do with it? And what's interesting is for me as a psychologist, and I think it's actually not even psychologists for many professions. I, I've read this after it's true. Like sometimes they answer, somebody asks you a question and the answer is it depends. It depends on many different things. And so what I see still happening a lot for organizations, even as they have more data, is this uncertainty of what if I don't understand this correctly? What if I misinterpret this? Um, what does this actually mean? Can we dig in the data and get all the answers? And so to me, a lot of times what I'll say is, you know, there might not be an absolute answer. There might not be an absolute answer that solves a challenge for everybody equally. But if you start to make data-informed decisions and take some chances on it, you're still going to be significantly better off than if you don't make a data-informed decision at all. But it, it is interesting to me because I, I, I see people even look to me and say, well, what would you do? What does this mean to you? And oftentimes what that leads to is a much more in-depth conversation with a client to say, well, tell me more about your organization. This is what I'm seeing in the data, but I have no idea why this would be. Tell me, what do you think? Um, and so then you start to see them get a lot more confidence um, and feel a lot better about their knowledge because my goodness, by and far, the people that I talk with are so smart and they know what to do with this information. But there's this a little bit of this apprehension around what if I make a mistake? What if I misinterpret this? And for somebody that's, you know, been obviously working with data for a long time, like what would you be your piece of advice to our listeners? Because I'm 100% certain based on the conversations that I've had, that there are at least some, you know, folks listening in that are going to be like, yes, please. <laughs> what do I do? I totally, you know, relate to this situation. Yeah. I, for, first off, I'll, I'll totally agree that it's a, it's an augmentation is the path forward. And I, I think that story has been lost a little bit where it's, we have to augment what we know about HR and the, the truths we have mm -hmm. from our conversations and services, other channels with that systems data. But as I look at this, and, and one of the ways I started to try to frame this is around uh, data is listening at scale. So a lot of times we think of listening and the reason I bring that up to is like HRVPs and HR folk are really good at listening. That's the core thing that we get up to a lot of times within the HR space is we're listening to the workforce, we're understanding it. And just uh, the best HRVPs I've ever met are always just the best active listeners to have a conversation with. 
And so they have this strength and then they look at this analytics space. They're like, well, that's calculus. I'm not good at calculus. And it's not calculus, but it kind of looks like that from the outside. Yeah. And so by framing it to say, okay, actually, let, let's try to reframe this and say, okay, let's look at our data across our organization. And let's try to listen to what the attrition story is telling us. And what the attrition story might be telling us is, hey, there's pockets here and there, and there's some variances with populations we might not expect. And there's, there's maybe a little bit more in an area that's strategic that we need to take care of. But it's a new, it's a different way to listen. But at the end of the day, you're still listening. And I, I think that breakdown, that switch from analytical language to listening language also brings it to the table in a different way. That says, I should listen to the data, but I also need to listen to this, and I also need to listen to that. And I need to talk to people in my organization. And it should be a voice at the table but it doesn't need to be the, the kind of automation to kind of like make the decision for you. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that framing within this context of these like different channels of listening is data is one that we've got to pick up and come at it from that space. And again, I, I try to talk to everyone in HR that I can. It's like, you have the core piece already, which is you're good at listening. If you can do that, we can teach you data. I, I can't teach someone how to listen, especially to listen to the kind of cultural context you need to pick up to perform HR at a high level. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I love that advice. To, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, <laughs> I just go, love go. to um, maybe take you down a little rabbit hole. Uh, and apologies in advance, but um, I definitely agree with what you're saying. And as as someone who is not in HR, um, which might be surprising since I'm a culture person, but I do. I would love to dig into the the whole trust concept a little bit more because yeah. you. HR is good at listening, but HR is also responsible to the organization, right? Is working for the organization or is seen as working for the organization, not necessarily for the individual worker. And so I'm just curious, like how, just in your experience, how you kind of address that or or combat that maybe resistance you know, I know plenty of people who don't want to talk to HR because mm. of whatever. You know what I mean? Like there's there's yeah. a sense that HR is not necessarily working for us, even though I completely agree with you that HR has that listening skill that's really deeply ingrained in what, what you do every day. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think, um, and I, I love the question across the context of these different spaces too. Trust is absolutely earned. I don't think you could demand trust. You can't, you can't purchase trust. It is earned. And it's earned over time through a lot of small things. And I think that's where HRBPs and those, those direct contacts, those conversations, that goes a long way to kind of build that trust. But in the same way, trust is very easily lost. And so we talk mm-hmm. about trust a lot in the people analytics space in particular, because if, if you lose the trust of your workforce, you don't get to do people analytics both because you should not be able to do it, but also because you actually can't do it. Like if people start filling out the surveys wrong or they don't fill out the surveys or they start entering data wrong or they don't fill out the data, it's like suddenly you actually don't have the tools you need. So I I think there's there's not enough conversations about trust, but I think that idea of like, how do we build trust? How do we develop trust? Do we have the trust of the workforce? That should be on everybody's agenda within this space because it's, um, it's a great indicator of if you're going to be able to make an impact as an HR team. So yeah, I, I fully agree that, that trust has to be number one. And so I, yeah, and I, I think that's, that's across exactly, all three That's exactly the, where my, my thought about this appeared is in that thought of, that people know how to manipulate surveys 
right? Because <laughs> we're smart. <laughs> and maybe we're, you know, having a bad day at work and we're like, okay, here comes the survey. I'm just going to answer a completely opposite of, you know, what I actually feel or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, I'll, so, I'll yeah, give a good example, though. Of course, it's like oh, an sorry, ongoing sorry. journey. No, no, I was just oh, saying absolutely. it's an ongoing journey, like you were saying. <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll say actions build trust, too. So the example I think a lot about is the, um, they have like that Googler survey. It's it's their annual, it's like a hundred question survey and they get close to like a 95% participation rate. And the way they're able to achieve that is because they, everyone at Google knows if I fill out this survey, the company will change. And that's because after they filled out the survey in the past, the company changed. And so it's that sort of like, you have to kind of build up through that action, but there, there's a phenomenal researcher out of uh, University of Texas, Austin, Ethan Burris, he does a lot of work in this space on activating employee voice and that space of how do I activate voice and how do I build that trust? It comes from consistent uh, delivery. You actually have to make a change after you do a survey or after you have a conversation. If you don't do it, people will fade off yeah. eventually. And that's where survey fatigue kicks in. Uh, but yeah, lo love the work by Dan uh, yeah, by we, Ethan Burris out of University of Texas. Say, we like to say it's not survey fatigue, it's lack of action fatigue, which is exactly what 100%. <laughs> I feel like, you know, it's interesting because that's become like a famous quote that I feel like I hear everywhere. So fingers crossed that everyone's like taking action on that versus like just saying it. And I'm, I'm seeing that, well, at least with our clients, I'm seeing organizations take that a lot more to heart. And even before surveys are launched, they're already putting teams together to take action, to figure out what to do with the data. Um, so I'm I'm optimistic when it comes to that area. I think one thing to add to the conversation too that I've seen is a is a big opportunity. I think to earn trust and to have HR and HRBPs become better partners is that a lot of times in organizations, like people end up being siloed. And what was interesting to me, especially at at XA that we just had a question pro. I had an opportunity to talk to a few different individuals who said something that really struck me. And what it was is that they didn't realize how much they actually didn't know about their organization until they stepped into the CHRO role. So mm -hmm. even when they were inside of HR departments, there were a lot of things about the organization they didn't know. And when they stepped up into that conversation, and that was one of the questions I even had for Serena, um, Huang, that was my fireside chat is, you know, what would be your advice and how do you increase this exposure? And so to me, a lot of times it's around education, how the company works, why it works a certain way, because the more we know, the more we can understand that data and context. We don't have to know everything about the organization, right? But the more you understand how different departments work, what's important to them, um, what were some big strategic company decisions that happened and that's probably an answer of why people are, you know, behaving a certain way, answering surveys a certain way. It gives you just so much more context. And so at least, you know, from, from the experience I've had in the conversations I've had, I think there's a really big opportunity to bring up HR. I don't want to say bring them up to speed. That's not fair. Communicate better to them and in a different kind of way to keep them informed more of that business sense and how different people in the organization experience the organization because all of a sudden that data means something completely different and you can start to empathize, empathize with people more. You can understand better whether where certain things are coming from. Um, how does one exactly do that effectively? I'm not totally sure, but I do think that there's that opportunity to bring people in and have those conversations around, you know, this is what the company is doing. This is what's happening. 
And I think that's where the conversations between HRBPs and HR in general and the stakeholders are going to start to become very different. And not even that the person has to know everything, but it helps maybe in a way inform what kind of questions you ask to your stakeholders to better understand where they're coming from. Yeah, I love that. And it's um, what's coming to mind is this idea of like altitude changes your visibility. Mm-hmm. And so as you, as you go up the organization, you can actually see very different things. And it's, yeah. it goes both ways, though, too. When you're, when you're at the ground floor, you can see what's going on tactically day to day. You've got, a, you've got an intimate knowledge of that. And as you ascend up the organization, that, that visibility disappears sometimes. So mm-hmm. if we think about this idea of information channels, you can actually tie it back to the space of internal communications. Because mm-hmm. the reality is we, we've got a system of like, in my mind, it's a system of plumbing that has mm-hmm. information that flows throughout the organization. Mm-hmm. And those, those plumbing get blocked sometimes or something happens, or maybe it's not as, as deep in the organization as you'd like. So a lot of times when people say, hey, I, I wanna build a listening strategy, what they're really saying is like, I'm at an altitude where I can't see the ground anymore. And what I need is to make sure I'm getting the right information from the ground up to the top and that that flow goes both ways. And so like a listening strategy should also be a speaking strategy to kind of make sure that information flow happens. But it is funny, you, you see a lot of listening teams separate from internal comms teams. And mm-hmm. like, that's a weird thing that that happens, but like you would love to see that come together in a way. Yeah. And so like, this reframing around information channels and how we flow, um, I haven't really talked that much about it or, or written things about it, but I think that push back out through these channels is also a really fascinating idea. And how do we get this information to flow back out in the right ways? Absolutely. Um, so I guess taking a step back in a more of a bird's eye view, when you think about the last year or so in people analytics, what has been some advancements that have excited you the most? Some changes, some fresh perspectives, like whatever comes top of mind when when I ask you like, oh, what's excited you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, everything. Everything excites me about people analytics. And it's, it's been fun seeing lots of new teams and lots of people in the space. But if I were to get down to one, I think what I'm seeing this year is a lot more emphasis on productizing and scaling. Mm-hmm. I think we're, we're seeing that people analytics teams are realizing like you can't just put it in a Jupyter notebook and call it a data science project and end your, end your project there. We've got to find ways to take what we learn and actually scale that back out and deliver mm-hmm. that back out in a consistent and meaningful way across the entire organization. So while a lot of teams started as very like project oriented, maybe research based to do like a research project, we're now seeing teams shift a little bit more into this machine learning modeling and machine learning operations. I know um, Ian O'Keefe at Amazon has spoken a lot about that. There's a lot of folks that are really leaning into this product-oriented people analytics. And we've heard about it for years. I'm seeing a shift even in the kind of roles that are posted and the ways we think about the space. And frankly, just in the, the interest in the vendor space around this too, that we've got to be able to scale ourselves differently going forward. So that, that's, that's definitely been a big one this can year. You, that, that's can you give us an yeah. example? Can you give us an example yeah, I, of that? Like, what, what does that look like? And Oh, it's a good one. I, I think it's something where years ago, it might have been like, hey, like, how many people are we going to lose next year? And you do a predictive model to try to understand the attrition for the next year. I think what we're seeing teams get asked this year is, how do I prevent attrition going forward? Mm-hmm. And so what are the levers we know that if we pulled them, we would see a change? And how do we, once we pull them, track to see if that change actually occurred? And so for instance, if we understand from our predictive model that, hey, it's actually a sense of belonging. And then it's okay, well, how do we influence belonging? What's involved there? How do we have our touch points? How are we then pulling that information back in the right ways? And then from there, what actions do we need to take? And some of those actions are technological and some of those actions are within the kind of like the arms and legs of the the HR department. 
as they go out into the organization, but that that flow around it to say, okay, we're, we need to productize this thing. We, it's not just enough to know it, we have to act. And I'm seeing a lot more of that this past year around, let's take those actions and let's build some things that are a bit more sustainable and scaled. I love that, thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So now thinking ahead, maybe now doing predictions, but hopes, dreams, maybe expectations, like what would you love to see? Where would you love to, you know, have our field go over the next year or two? I won't say like five or 10, that's like bananas yeah. now, nobody knows, but maybe one or two years. <laughs> I think it's, it's a funny one because I've been thinking about these kind of 2024 predictions. Everybody puts those out eventually, but the um, every year I keep putting qualitative analysis down because mm. I think qualitative analysis is a bit of like the the, I don't know, there's a there's a black sheep within the family there where uh, as people analytics, like even the name people analytics were a quant field. But the reality is like qualitative analytics, like really, really strong ethnography or social science in that way outside of just the typical kind of standard social science we see, there's a real space for it in, the, in this area. And I think when you reframe people analytics to be decision support, it has a really natural home. And so I, I keep uh, banging the drum that uh, anthropologists at some point, the sociologists out there, we, we need some more of that like market research approach instead of just a, a psychometric uh, person up kind of survey. And so um, I'm, I'm still banging that drum and I'm still hoping for that. And uh, I, I could see a couple more teams kind of head in that direction in 2024, especially as we see this kind of roller coaster up and down around attrition or people staying or people quitting, what's happening, and just trying to understand the culture of a company that just takes a different skill set. So yeah, I'm, I'm still very excited about and uh, I'm hoping for that in 2024. Maybe it's a 2025 though, we'll see. You know, that's it's so interesting because as soon as you said qualitative, my mind went to like, oh, how effective is AI and qualitative analysis because I hear so much of that. But that's not what you're saying. You're really saying like, what's the methodology and what's the approach and how we understand something better? Like almost like a, a different lens that's not necessarily taking data and quantifying it again but yeah. it's understanding how do i how do i understand this culture how do i understand this ecosystem maybe like i don't want to say in a more human way but in a slightly different yeah. way that we've understood humanity or like approach that we've taken in in other kinds of research yeah i, th I think that's right and i think it's historically sometimes hrvps get called qualitative the reality is like hrvps are more like artisans they, they have honed their craft over many years. They, they have built up an understanding that's almost like an under the, under the hood understanding of just what, what is the workforce up to? They kind of live in that stream of work. That's a little bit yeah. different than like a qualitative science. And when I think about qualitative science, I think about that, like, again, coming back to like rigorous ethnography, like how do I study and learn and mm -hmm. without converting it into a tabular data format, how do I take this mm -hmm. knowledge of interviews and conversations and observations and distill that down in a way that's still a rigorous science that still has those kind of roots in anthropology or, or the sociology fields. And how do I make sense of that in a more clear way? Uh, so I, I, I'm hopeful for that. And I, I think we get there a little bit. We see, we see like uh, Question Pro with the market research arm. That's a very different approach than we see a lot of the other survey tools take that is very still very rooted in the IO psychology. And so this ability to kind of spread out across different fields of work is just uh, tremendous. And I'm hoping we see more of that going forward. You know what I have, and I know our listeners can't see us, I have this goofy grin because I just had this huge <laughs> flashback to high school where we took a test, like, what are you going to be when you grow up? And mine came back as anthropologist. <laughs> there we go. You, you put so those dreams go. there. 
there's something there. <laughs> yeah, you're connecting some like bizarre dots in like my life that I haven't connected. But I'm like, oh my goodness, maybe there was something to that test. I remember when it came back and I was like an anthropologist, really like at the time, I think I was hoping to be a medical doctor, but sure, I'll look into this. Like maybe there's something there that's, oh, I love that. That's so interesting. Um, so as we start to wrap up, I just wanted to ask you, you've shared so much advice and so much of your experience with us so far, but for those listening who, you know, whether they're in the people analytics field already or aspiring, whether, you know, they're veterans or just getting in, what would be some of your words of advice for how to approach it, how to add value, any, any lessons learned that you've had either from, wow, I'm so glad I did this in my career and, you know, I would do it again, or maybe if there was a situation I encountered again in the future that I encountered in the past, this is what I would do differently. So any like really open words of advice to our listeners. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. I, I think for, for folks that are new to the people analytics space, whether you're in HR or in an analyst role, I think the best advice I can pass on is like, it's okay to be confused. Uh, I think the field is still coming together. I mean, even, even 10, 15, 20 years in, it's still not as stable, as perfected as some of these other functions that are out there, like total rewards or compensation and these other fields that have had 80, 100 years of like calcification. People analytics is still new. It's still changing pretty rapidly. And so if you're confused by what are the terms here, or like what's going on here, I don't know what they're really saying here. It's okay. Uh, we're, we're confused too, even those of us that are in it. And so it's uh, <laughs> just, just some advice there. I think for seasoned professionals, this is gonna sound a little salesy, but like check in with the vendor community. And the reason I pass that on is I, I see the tools just getting so much better. And eventually across a lot of categories, I see vendors win the category eventually. So if you think about payroll, like very few people are building their own payroll systems from scratch. That would be a bit of a wild thing to try to do today. Eventually the vendors start to really outpace the in-house builds. And I think we're seeing that in the people analytics space in particular, uh, just there is a tremendous, tremendous uh, vendor community out there. Richard, thank you so much. Um, before we say goodbye, I just want to ask for, again, for those of you who don't follow you yet and would like to, you know, either reach out or stay in touch and, and follow your work, where's the best place to find you? Absolutely. Um, uh, so onemodel.co slash blog, all of our blogs get posted there. I have incredible colleagues that are posting in like phenomenal content too, uh, but you can find all of our history of blogs on there. And then of course I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, find me there, Richard Rose now. Thank you so Fantastic. much again. <laughs> this was, I, I took a lot of notes. I saw Maddie taking a lot of notes. I think um, we learned a lot from you. I'm sure our listeners did. And thank you again for everything that you do for the community, for being such a wonderful role model, for being somebody who's so inspirational and so optimistic about just, you know, the outlook, optimistic and realistic in many ways. I think it's a, it's a beautiful balance to have. So thank you again for your time today. We're so yeah. grateful. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. Thank you both so much for having me on as well. Just, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. And uh, I'm a listener too. So I'm excited to eventually hear it maybe at some point. Uh, but everything Yay. you do in this space is fantastic. <laughs> so thank you both. In addition to being the Empowering Workplaces host, I'm also the president of Question Pro Workforce, and I wanted to tell you a bit more about it because it so brilliantly aligns with our concept of empowerment. At Question Pro Workforce, we help organizations across the world better connect with their employees. We do this through continuous listening survey technology, as well as sharing our deep knowledge and expertise to help our clients know what questions to ask to most deeply connect with their workforce and take impactful action on data and insights they collect.
Learn how Question Pro Workforce can be a great partner on your path to creating a really outstanding employee listening strategy and a remarkable organizational culture at questionpro.com backslash workforce.